Let's turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. As some of you are joining us for the first time, we're starting, uh, we have for the last couple of weeks started this whole new series called Motivation. As you know, during the summer, it's really hard to get motivated, but we want to be motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, whether it's serving, whether it's reading the Bible, whether it's praying, getting together and being part of life group. It has to be motivated by the gospel. And that's why we thought that it would be great to study the book of Titus as Paul, the author, is writing to his disciple Titus about different things regarding the church. And so it brings it back to the gospel of Jesus Christ and why we do what we do. And I pray that it'll be an encouragement for us. So Titus chapter 2, you can just have your Bibles open there. Another reminder is that in our Bible app, you can download that. And we have all our notes there so you can follow along and fill in the blanks and so that you can have a treasure trove of just notes that you have taken, insights that you have gained as we go over the book of Titus. I wanted to start off with a question, and the question is simply this. What are some things that have been passed down from your parents unto you, and now that you see this evident in your life as you practice some of those same things? Now, I think for many of us, who are not married yet, that's the important word yet, uh, that's, that's a word of faith that you believe that it will happen. For those of you who are not married yet, you won't really be able to see a lot of it until you get married. When you get married and you start having kids, you, you're amazed at how many of the things that you learn from your parents, just unconsciously or even consciously, that now you're making certain decisions that you pass on now even to your children. Uh, I think many of us, we underestimate the power of an older person's influence in our lives, whether it's both for good or for bad. And for many of us, I think we could probably testify that all of us, one person or two people that have influenced probably us the most, both for the good and for the bad, are our parents. I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents, especially my mom, uh, she's just a very outgoing and just loves people. She's a great servant, selfless, sacrificial woman of God. She still is to, to today. Those of you who don't know, she's uh, uh, slowly approaching um, 80 years old, and she's still doing line dancing. She's a line dancing instructor for all these older women, and uh, it's amazing. She's uh, healthy and she just loves life, and so I'm just thankful. And as I think about my mom, I just remember growing up that one of the things that she would always drill into my older sister, my younger brother, and myself was to really have good manners, especially when you're in public. I personally thought a lot of it was saving face because, you know, the Asian thing or the Korean thing, it's all about making sure that you look good in front of other people and all that. But one of the things that she would always do is make sure you have good manners. And I remember there were many times that she would always pick something out, uh, especially as I'm in public, as I'm talking with other people, or as she drags me along to a meeting and or go somewhere, and then we meet some of her friends, and she's always commenting on certain things. Now, let me just tell you straight off the bat, I hated it with a passion. Uh, this is kind of like when your parents made you play piano, and you hated it, and later on you're like, oh, I'm so glad that she taught me piano. It's kind of one of those things. Because pretty much what happened was after those times, I remember just even just kind of standing next to her. She's talking to one of her friends. Go, oh, this is my son. And I'll kind of put my hands in my pocket. And I go, you know, the Korean uh, introduction and all that. You got to bow. Do not bow 
75 degrees. Do not bow 80 degrees. You got to bow what? 90 completely. Uh, you're going to have a bad back by, by the time you start greeting a lot of Koreans. But anyway, like, like she would literally make me bow like 90 degrees. And there were times when I would just have my hand in my pocket and just say, oh, you know, I, I would give my greeting. And later on, she would, and I'm like, what is that? And I realized that was my mom coming from behind. She is very stealthy. She comes from behind, and bam! And I'm like, oh. And then I had to kind of put my hand on the side or in the front. And one of the things I will say is this. Even though I hated it, I'm so thankful because even now when I'm in very different social settings, especially as I network with other people and I meet people from different countries, one of the things that God has blessed me with is just being able to have this connection with people and also just being able to talk with them and just being mindful of some of the things that my parents taught me over the years. And as I share this, I know for many of us, when we think about our parents, we don't think about some of the good things. Some of us, our parents influence in a negative way. Some of our self-esteem has been formed and shaped by our parents. Some of our attitudes towards things, maybe our biases or certain things that we value that we look now and we realize this is not completely congruent with the scriptures, with the Bible. And oftentimes you look at those situations like, Pastor, like, they weren't very good influences. In fact, my dad was never home. My mom was really verbally abusive. Uh, she made me study and do all these things. And it's not a good influence. I look at my life now. But I think one of the things that we have to be able to agree on is this. They have an influence in our lives. There are people who are older as well, and you see the effects of their parents' influence in their lives. Then as we get older, as you know, many of us, we look to other mentors and people, our teachers, our pastors, our leaders, other people to influence us because we see something in them that we want, that we want to become, something that draws us to them. And I wanted to show you this quick video and I thought it was really interesting because Dr. James Dobson, who's really big on family, he used this illustration of the Pacific salmon. And he shares that something that he learned in this powerful illustration that how a family's influence can literally impact not only that child, but we're talking about generations after. And so I want you to watch it. It's just about a minute or so long, really quick. I want you to listen and uh, just Hear what he is trying to say as he draws his illustration. Let's watch it together. What an awesome thought. That the thir things that the kids learn at a young age, it literally shapes them. So I want to ask you this morning, who you are today right now as you're sitting there in your seats, who shaped you? Who molded you? And for some of us, it's not our parents because we had parents who were rarely home. A TV, Disney. That's why some of you are looking for that knight in shining armor. Some of you are like, forget him. I, I'm Mulan, you know, and you're ready to go. But all I can say is that something has shaped us and something has influenced us. And I think this is something that we have to keep in mind as we think about the book of Titus, and here's Paul telling Titus some things to keep in mind in regards to the church. And so I want to make sure that we're all on the same page of why we are studying the book of Titus. 
As you know, we do different topical sermons along the way to address specific issues that some of us might be struggling with. But we also like to study the book of the Bible or any book that God leads us to because we believe that it's such an important part to not only the health of our church, but to spirit, our spiritual journey so that we can know Scripture, so that through Scripture we can get to know God. So I want to reinstate the threefold purposes of why we're studying the book of Titus. The first is that we want greater Bible literacy. I'm praying that in this generation, we will not lose the heart of knowing Scripture. And so we want everyone in our church to have greater Bible literacy, not just head knowledge, but obedience to the Word, because you have to understand first and then to obey. The second reason is that we want more gospel-fluent Christ followers. That means that you can speak the language of the gospel. It's not just Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and then you receive him as Lord and Savior, and then you're going to go to heaven. The gospel entails much more than that, from creation to the fall and to the redemption through Jesus Christ, and from there, the restoration, and that God is restoring all things to himself, and that we have this wonderful privilege of participating in that. And so this whole gospel language that we speak into our lives as we struggle and go through the difficulties of life, that we can speak that to ourselves. And that's what we want to teach you through the book of Titus. And the third reason is we want people to be motivated by the gospel, as I shared earlier. I pray that everything that you do will be because of Jesus Christ and the gospel message, the good news of what he has done for us. So I want to specifically look into two things as we look into this section of chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, from Paul's exhortation to Titus about teaching members, the church members who are older, and then he addresses those members who are younger, like himself, uh, Titus. And so he is addressing those two groups of people. So I want to talk about that this morning. And so uh, let me give the first point. The first point is this. That influence, we have to remember that it's important that we have to influence through our experience. So you have to uh, influence through your experience. Let me go ahead and read verse 1. Hopefully you've turned to Titus uh, by now, uh, Titus chapter 2. And let me just go ahead and read verse 1 as we start off this section. It says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now, I need to pause here and help you to understand that if you look at the earlier verses in chapter 1, you will notice in verse 9, also in verse 13, you will notice that Apostle Paul uses the phrase sound doctrine and sound in the faith. So something about having good doctrine, it's very important to living according to the gospel that you have received. But now here in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul mentions once again this importance of sound doctrine. But this time, I want you to see this. I hope you can catch this. But this time, we see that he is linking sound doctrine with the kind of living that reflects the proper doctrine. Now, I want you to catch that. Earlier in chapter 1, he just mentioned sound doctrine. But now here in chapter 2, verse 1, he's saying to have sound doctrine that is reflected in how you live your life. Uh, I remember when uh, we were back in the United States, and our church was uh, young back then, maybe probably the late 90s, and we started the church back in 1996, so it was about 97, 98, so it was our first crop of people who started coming to our church for several years, 
And I remember there were times when I would have these long discussions with some of these guys who just love doctrine. Now, don't raise your hand. I don't know how many of you in this room love doctrine. You just love talking about God and the things of God, like theology. You just get excited. Like, forget about just anything else. It's just like you get excited. Like, making the train right before it closes, that doesn't excite you. I don't know about you, but it excites me. But some of you, when you talk about doctrine, you're like, this is like, this is, this is the stuff right here. We had those kind of guys in our church in the first couple of years of our church. And I love them. I'm like, great, let's talk about this, guys. I enjoy talking about apologetics, defending your faith, and all this kind of stuff. So we're just talking. But then I got this really bad and strange suspicion that some of these guys just love talking about it for various reasons, whether to show off how smart they are, and some of them wanted to just kind of confront me or just see how I can argue and see if I could hold my own. I mean, there were many reasons why some of these guys, they were constantly talking about doctrine. As soon as they saw something or I said something, they were quick to point out, Pastor, can I meet with you? I'm like, okay, he wants to get to know me. Nope, he just wanted to talk about doctrine. And I remember getting, like, at first it was kind of amusing. It was nice, you know, okay, this guy enjoys doctrine. But after a while, it became very, very disturbing because I realized they knew so much but they live so little, if you will, according to the scriptures. And I think this is something that we have to be careful of in the church. You could have the best doctrine. You could have all the things laid out perfectly. You know a lot. But when you look at your life, it doesn't reflect what you know. And that's why it is oftentimes, sometimes better to know what you do know at this moment and live it out than constantly seeking for more knowledge beyond what you can even live out. Let's continue as he mentions this, that your doctrine has to be reflective of how you live your life. Now look at verse 2 and 5, 2 through 5. Listen to what it says. Older men, you are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women... Likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, before y'all get really excited, especially the women, and when I say excited, agitated, and looking at these verses, and before some of you men get excited, because you're like saying, oh, this is good. Now I can use this against my wife and tell her to be submissive to me. So before all that happens, uh, let me give you three things to keep in mind before you even talk about it. You know that whenever there's precursory statements, that's a sign that there could be a lot of misunderstanding, so don't misunderstand. Three things to keep in mind as we look at Paul's instructions to the older women and the older men in the church. First of all, the exhortations that we have just read can be applied to both men and to women. Can I get a good amen to that? You guys don't believe me. I, let me let me say it again. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. amen. Which means, even though it might be addressed to a particular group of people, there are some truths in there that we, as from the other gender, the men, we need to also learn how to obey and follow. 
The second exhortation I want to give is that we have to address uh, the exhortations that Paul is giving addresses uh, it addresses some of the specific issues in Crete. So by addressing these specific issues, you give a bigger understanding of what was going on, and that's why you need to understand what's happening. The third thing that you have to understand about the exhortation is that the exhortations were given for the sake of being a witness for Christ. So everything that is now given, the end goal was so that you could be a witness for Jesus Christ. So ultimately, you can share your faith, people will come to know Christ, and Christ will be exalted. Now let's start with the older men in verse 3, and then the older women in verse 4 and 5. So we want to talk about the importance of how we have influence through our experience. In verses 2 to 5, uh, or excuse me, specifically in verse 3, as we read this, we see the influence of older men. The Apostle Paul mentions six important traits for older men. They're very simple. He listed, he says, sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. Now, it's interesting that the last three traits of faith, love, and steadfastness are very similar traits that are mentioned to the people of Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, in the ESV, listen to what it says. This is Paul speaking to the people of Thessalonica. Remembering before our God and Father, and once again, when it's bold and also yellow, I want you to read it along with me, all right? Let me, let me do it again. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something important about faith, love, and hope. We see this triplet going on here. Now, Paul also mentions to the people of Corinth about the importance of these three traits. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 in the ESV says this, so now faith, hope, and love, here we go again, abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. So he mentions faith, hope, and love. Now, even though hope is not mentioned in the book of Titus here, you look at the word steadfastness, and that word is translated as endurance or patience and perseverance. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and uh, let me just use another mic here. Hold on for a second. Okay, can you hear me? Okay, there we go. And so the word steadfastness, uh, what we see is, is translated as endurance, patience, and perseverance. And we can only endure, only have patience, and only persevere when we have hope in something greater than what we are going through right now. So that's hope. So if you think about these traits... These traits should be characteristic of a person who's mature. And not just age, but we're talking about maturity in Christ. And I think these are the traits that earn respect from people. Just think about the people that you know who exhibit some of these traits. Faith, hope, and love. Especially when they go through crisis situations or difficult times. Like something about them, when they have that much faith, when things are going so wrong, something inspires you as you look at their lives. 
when they're in a situation where it's difficult to love, but they're still loving their co-workers, they're still trying to love their boss, they're still trying to love their neighbor. And when you think about that, you realize, wow, they really love God or they love people. And when things are hard and they don't look at the temporary things, but they look at eternal things and they put their hope not in the things of this world, not in security, not in the next job they're going to get, not in the income that they have. They look at things that are eternal. Something about them inspires us. And let me just say this to some of us. I know that our church, we have a lot of young people. And what I'm praying for is some of you in this room will be rooted here in Hong Kong and this will be your church. Not just for your college years, but we're talking about even your single adult as you find somebody in our church. They might be sitting next. Okay, no, I shouldn't say that. Some of you are sitting. uh, But you know what I'm saying? There might be someone in this room. And then from there, as you get married and have children, I'm praying that you will grow the church along with us even as you age and as you get older, because what happens is that now you become examples to many of these younger people who come to our church and they're looking for older couples. They're looking for married couples that can really live according to the scripture because they didn't experience that growing up. They need older spiritual moms and spiritual dads. So I'm praying right now, we might not have too many of them, but we need people that will be able to have that kind of mindset to realize that God has given me so many experiences and he has blessed me in so many ways. And so how do I then now live my life to be a blessing to other people? Can I ask those of us who are older men in our church, how are you influencing the younger men in our church? Are you sober-minded? Are you dignified? Are you self-controlled? Are you sound in the faith? Do you exhibit love? Do you, do you show steadfastness? The second thing that we see here is the influence of not, not only the older men, but he specifically in verses four and five, he addresses the influence of the older women. In verse 3, Paul then shifts his attention to these older women in the church, and he says that they were to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or addicted to much wine. I don't know why he mentioned that, because I'm guessing there were many women, older women, because they're like, I hate my husband now. My kids are all off to college. I don't know. They're like, wine, yes. But it sounds like there were many women in there who are addicted to wine. And here's Paul. He gives the older women the responsibility of teaching and training the younger women. And he specifically mentions seven important traits or specific areas. He says you are to be lovers of their husband, of your husband, your children, self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their husbands. Now, by manifesting these qualities, Paul wrote that they will earn the respect of outsiders. Because once again, the goal of the exhortation is so they will become a witness for Christ. And thereby, by bringing, they will not bring shame nor dishonor to the Word of God if they live according to what the Word of God says. Now, once again, it is helpful to understand the context of this letter. In Crete, there were a lot of things that were just accepted as culture. Listen to me very carefully. 
Because I think we need to be able to look at culture and see what's going on. Is it in line with scripture? So in Crete, there were a lot of things that were just accepted as culture, but Paul was trying to encourage the believers to go countercultural. The main reason and purpose for this is to encourage the believers to be a, a witness for Jesus Christ and how no longer the earthly culture, but the kingdom culture can really transform your life. That's what he's trying to get at. With that being said, we see Paul is encouraging the older women to teach and train their younger women to be, the younger women to be witnesses by how they treat their husband and children. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, how about the husband treating us, you know, women and all this? And can I just make a little side comment here? I know there are a lot of views in Christianity that seems to be against women, almost like misogynistic kind of views that you see in culture that's negative, especially with the hashtag MeToo movement. You will also see, as some of you who have friends or maybe some of you in this room are struggling with same-sex attraction, SSA. And it just seems like everything in Scripture is against some of these things, and you know some of these people who are gay, and you're like, wow, they're even better than Christians, the way they live, the, the, live their life. They're kind, they're compassionate, they're, they're loving, they're patient, more so than these holy Christians who live such a, a self-righteous life that I don't want to be a part of. And so that's where the struggle begins when you think about, okay, here's the kingdom culture that I know that I accepted, that I'm a part of. Now, how do I live that out now in a secular culture so that I could be a witness for Jesus Christ? So what you need to understand as we're talking about some of these traits for these younger women, the older women are supposed to teach the young women, is that you have to understand the nature of relationships, even marriage, during this time. What I will say is this. Back then, back in the biblical times, the way they approach relationship was so different than the way we understand it today. Pretty much what you have to understand is many of these people that he's addressing came from a paganistic background. They were worshiping all these other idols. So as they converted to Christianity, one of the things that you have to understand, I think all of us can understand, even though you become a Christian, there are still a lot of worldviews and a lot of values that you've learned over the years from your parents, from the world, that does not change. It doesn't change so quickly. So here are a lot of the women who became a Christian, but they're living in this paganistic society. And so the view, and especially the husbands as well, their view of marriage was so different from what the Bible teaches or what the apostles were teaching at that time. And so that's why to run your family with new set of priorities, to run your families with a whole new set of values, it was so foreign to many of these young converts. Can I just make a little another comment here that I think is important for us? Some of you in this room came to know Jesus Christ, but you have not changed your values and your priorities. You grew up in a family that pushed success, make a lot of money. And I have nothing wrong with that. I think that's good. Don't forget to tithe. There's nothing wrong with that. But what we have done is that we have held those values and worldviews 
And then we just kind of gloss it over with some little bit of Christianity and say, I'm trying to be successful for God. You just have to add for God. But deep in your heart, you know it's all for yourself. It's for your vainglory. It's for your own success so you can build a name for yourself. It's not about God. It's all about you. Why do you study so hard? So that someone can come to know Christ because you're the top student and everyone wants to cheat off your work? I mean, is that why you want to study hard? Is that why you're putting so many OT, overtime at work? Because you want to be a witness for Christ. In fact, sometimes you could be a greater witness for Christ but not doing overtime to say, I value certain things that are different from what the world values. So you have to understand that they grew up in this kind of worldly culture. They got converted and now new set of priorities, new set of values, and they just don't know how to live according to these things of the kingdom culture. And this is why Paul tells Titus, you have to teach these older women to teach these younger women, train them. Older men, spend time with these younger men, teach them, train them. What you understand about relationship and marriage is back then, it was arranged marriage. Some of you are like, I have arranged marriage now, right? So there's still some arranged marriage going on. Now, you might not call it that. Your parents might not call it that. We have a friend. <laughs> Come on now. AKA, otherwise known as, right? Also known as arranged marriage. Because the parents talked, oh, I have a son. Oh, I have a daughter. Ah, they went to Harvard. Oh, they went to Stanford. Ah, and then like, you know, y- y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so back in that time, it was arranged marriage. So listen, you made a commitment first, and then you learned to love each other. Come on now. In our culture, with a whole new world, magic carpet ride. I'm telling you, it's the opposite. You fall in love first, and then you make a commitment. Are you with me? Now, I'm not telling you one is better than the other per se, but listen very carefully. Back in that time, they were arranged in marriage, so they made a commitment and they learned to love one another. In our culture, you fall in love and then you make a commitment. That's why some of these guys will never, they're in this relationship, but they'll never be committed. But pastor, you know, guys, we have to make money. We have to buy a house, you know, apartment. You know, we're getting prepared. You prepare my, you know what? You're not prepared. You're just kind of enjoying the stuff. So we fall in love, and then we'll think about making a commitment. And that's why we have so many people getting hurt. So many women in the church getting hurt. That's why women, I'm telling this is this is not a marriage seminar, but anyway, or it might be, it might turn into a relationship seminar. Ladies, listen very carefully. If that man is not willing to make a commitment to you, that person is not ready for any relationship. And why is this important? Because even in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and 33, you don't have to turn to it, just make a note of it. Paul makes it very clear. That this is going to completely change the culture, the way they view it. Because in verse 21, he makes it clear that the wife's submission to her husband is in context of what? Mutual submission to Christ. 
As you're submitted to Christ, not just you as a wife, but as a husband is submitted to Christ. As both of you are submitted to Christ, you can be submitted to one another. And this was not practiced in society because some of these husbands treated their wives poorly. They abused them. They verbally abused them. They slapped them around. They got drunk and they would beat their kids, beat their wives. That was the culture. And the culture back then was that wives are supposed to serve their husbands and become their like slaves or servants. But that's why the gospel completely flips it around and goes, she's not your servant, you're her servant. I always tell people, read Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you ladies are like, man, the Bible, uh, read it carefully. Because listen, guess who has a harder job? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did he love the church? And I'm talking about... So I'm like, I don't mind being, I'll submit. You know, I'll be like, hey. Like the way Christ loved the church, he died for the church. So I, I should be like, yeah, thank God I'm a wife and not a husband. And some of your husbands are like, oh, Lord, yeah. Good heart check. I'm just talking to myself. None of you other brothers here. This is just me. So can I challenge some of you who are older in our church? How are you influencing the younger generation in our church? Are you teaching them to be lovers of their husbands or their future husbands, their children, being self-controlled, pure in their heart, working from home, kind, submissive to their husband? Listen, working from home doesn't mean that they have to just stay at home. They're homemakers. Or, as I like to call my wife, before she started working, domestic engineer. I mean... That's what she was. She was engineering everything in our home. I could counter this. If some of you ladies are still upset about this, go and read Proverbs 31. And you will see a woman who worked outside of the home. Along with the responsibilities in the home. The husband's. Working outside of the home, but they still have responsibilities in the home. You know, I'm praying that in our HMCC churches, um, we'll really exhibit a countercultural mindset than what the world tells us. I'm, I'm all for feminism. I'm all for women's rights. I'm all, I'm all for that. But there's a fine line that begins to cross over. Then it becomes almost too radical to the point where now we're totally flipping everything around that the Bible speaks about. And so that's why I think we need better examples of men who can live their lives so that women can be inspired to say, you know what, with a person like that, with that kind of character that's reflecting Jesus Christ, I want to follow someone like that. I want that guy to be leading our home. I want that guy to be leading my children. One thing that I've been really encouraged by over the years is just really seeing some of our older members in our church just helping the younger ones. I, whenever I see it, I love it. I'm just like, this is awesome. Uh, I love it when these older women tell these younger freshmen, girls, watch out for that guy. <laughs> or be careful. So we're like, oh my God, th- th- this is unfair. Like, because you've been doing that to five other girls before. 
And so one of the things that you will notice is these older sisters, I was so encouraged by their, it's because these girls would be like, I think he likes me. She's like, oh, hold on, hold on. D- did he like contact you? You were studying together? Yes. <laughs> is he like WeChatting you all the time? Yes. Is he contacting you after? Yes. And she's like, you know, calm down. She's doing it because she loves these younger women, that they will come to know Christ and they will experience things of God. I, I, I love it when the working professional, the older guys in our church, the working professionals, they're always trying to help out the younger ones who are either about to graduate or just graduate. They're looking for jobs. When I see that, I realize here are these older people in our church that are influencing through their experience to some of these younger guys. I love it when we used to see a lot of fourth-year students blessing the first-year students. Just to say, we want to bless you because you're going to have four years of hard, hard and difficult road, especially with Pastor Seth. But, you know, we survived. And so they blessed them. Whether they just throw like a little mini party for them and just snacks or whatever, just say, hey, we want to bless you. Like that to me is from your experience, you are now influencing younger generations. I think one of this is one of the reasons why we need a men's and a women's ministry in our church to be stronger. We also need older people to help the younger members to transition into new life stage. So think about this for a moment, will you? What would it be like if the families with older kids reach out to the families with younger kids? Those of you who have younger kids, you're thinking, oh, my life is, I, I don't know why, the life is hard. Like, when I look at that, I go, in my mind, I'm, honestly, I'm just like, it's not that bad. But I don't say it, like, verbally, because they're going to get so discouraged, right? It's like, you're like, ow, oh, I'm in pain. Like, that's not nothing. Just, just wait until you die. You know, it just doesn't help. It doesn't help the situation. So I look at them, I'm like, yeah, I know it's hard. But in my mind, I'm thinking, wait until your kids get into teenagers. But that's when Christina and I or some of the older couples were able to say, hey, I know it's hard, sometimes sleepless nights, but like God's going to give you strength and it's going to be worth it. I used to hate it when they'd be like, oh, you're going to miss those times. And I remember holding my kids like, I'm not going to miss this, you know, diapers and all that. I'm like, no. And I used to hate those guys say that to me. That I'm just like, stop it, stop it. Because you just went through it and you're, but now I'm on the other side. And I'm, guess what I'm telling these younger guys? Enjoy it. You're going to miss this time. And I don't even have to know what they're thinking. They're probably thinking, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> what would it be like if the married couples reached out to some of the engaged couples? Or some of these couples that are going out so that we could help them to sift it through. Is this real or not? Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> What would it be like if some of the single adults in our church started reaching out to some of the graduates who are just about to graduate or there's going to be rising seniors this year? What would it be like if, once again, the fourth-year university students reach out to some of the first-year students, influenced through your experience? Let me quickly go over the second point. The second point is this. Not only influenced through your experience, But we see here we have to influence through our example. Let me go ahead and read verse 6 through 8. Listen to what the Word of God says. 
Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Wow. Now Paul focuses, after he focused on the older people in the church, now he's focusing on the younger people in the church and particularly the men in the church by encouraging Titus to be a good example in order to provide a model you might want to just kind of highlight that word, a model for them to follow. Now, it's interesting that the trait of being self-controlled is used three times. And I'm like, why is it repeated, self-control, self-control? I think this is a good reminder that in a culture where sensuality and overindulgences rule, the believers were supposed to be different and show sensibility moderation, and self-restraint. Now, don't raise your hand because I don't want to embarrass anybody. If money was no issue, how many of you would go to a restaurant that you found a, a nice little gem of a restaurant It's supposed to be rated really high and you open up the menu and your mouth literally drops? And as you open your mouth, water is like saliva is coming out of your mouth because all your favorite dishes are there. My question to you is this. If money was not an issue, someone was going to bless you and they said, order whatever. Here's a credit card or whatever. How many of us would order every single dish that you really wanted to eat on that menu? Don't raise your hand. We could probably, you know, anyway. And I think these are the kind of things that we kind of overlook. It's just... It's an issue of self-control. How about something called Netflix? In fact, the person who found the actual program, coded the program for YouTube, that there's a section on the right-hand side that says recommended for whom? You. The scary part is if you sign in and then your name pops up. Recommended for Seth. I would have been like, whoa, I need to check that one out. They did it because they understood the psychology of the brain. It is literally like a little cocaine hit that hits the frontal uh, cortex of your brain and you get addicted. That's why you're like watching a video in YouTube because it was for uh, uh, work or assignment at school. And all of a sudden, three hours passed by. You're like, oh, my God, where went, where was the time? It went into YouTube. That's where the time went. You know what I'm talking about. And even Netflix and some of these shows, well, how do they end these shows? That one episode, how does it end? Does it end like, the end, it's all done. No. They do it where, no. Click, click, click. (sighs) They know what they're doing. And to that I will say, self-control. I don't know, it's not in my notes, but I don't know, I just shared it. (laughs) Because I know, because, 
Lord have mercy. I gotta find a video for my sermon. Oh, recommended for Seth S. Kim. Wow, okay. No, I'm just kidding. And then an hour passed by, you're like, oh my goodness. In verse 7, we see the emphasis on being a good influence by setting an example. The word model, everyone say model, comes from the idea of an impression made by a die, a die cast, whatever it is, it's just this material that they would just use. And that's how that word model comes about, which gives this connotation of something that is being a pattern or to copy. The New King James Version says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Um, Can I show you this picture really quickly here? Do you know what this is? It's called a cookie cutter. Now, if you go to the next picture, you you roll up some flour in the dough, and then you use these cookie cutters to go bam, 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 and you will get nice pattern cookies that's equal in every single one. That's the word that Paul is using to so that you can be a model so that other people can see and know exactly what they ought to do. Now, can I just make a little side comment here? I think this is important. We are not saying, and I am not saying that you got to be like everyone else. That's kind of scary, right? Everyone dresses alike, everyone talks alike, but you're like, oh, like that's to me is scary. But the thought is this, is like, how can I be like Christ, but yet still keep my identity and who I am in my uniqueness and my personality. So cookie cutter doesn't mean that we have to all be exactly alike, but we do have to be all together more like Christ. He has to be our example. So he says, be a model for all these younger men and for these other people. And Titus was to exert his influence by living in such a way that people can copy He was supposed to do this by good works and in his teaching and is supposed to back it up by integrity and dignity. Can I just challenge some of you right now? If someone were to look at their lives, can they see Christ and would they want to copy you? The way you work in the workplace. Does everyone in that workplace, your coworkers, they want to follow you or model after you because they see your life, you're different. Those of you who are students, the way you study, the way you live life, is it different that you don't stress out over some of these exams because you have a greater peace in your heart. You're trusting in God. You're faithful in doing the things you have to do. That's why in verse 8, Titus was to be careful of his speech so that it cannot be criticized by other people. This reminds us of what Paul told even Timothy to be an example. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 in the NIV says this, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but what? Set an example. Come on, church. Let me do it again. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. When it is yellow. You read it with me. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity to be an example, to be that model so people can see. I think this is something that I'm realizing more and more in my life as I'm getting older. It's not so much what I say, is but what I do. That's what sticks. 
Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said in his collection of sermons called the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit. He writes this, We have come to a turning point in the road. If we turn to the right, mayhap our children and our children's children will go that way. But if we turn to the left, generations yet unborn will curse our name for having been unfaithful to God and to his word. What he's simply saying is that many of us have choices and what we choose and how we live our lives, it can affect your future generations to come in such a positive way to draw them closer to Christ or we will make choices that will draw further away from Christ. And that's why how many pastors' kids, how many elders' kids, how many deacons' kids do we have that are so rebellious? Why? Because what they see in their parents in public and what they see in private is so different that they're like, I don't want anything to do with this. I don't know how many pastors' kids, missionary kids, deacons' kids, elders' kids, or leaders' kids we have in this room. But all I can say to you is that oftentimes when you see that inconsistency, it turns you off to Christianity rather than turning you more towards Christ. We have a choice. In the same way, those of you who are families here and also those of you who are working single adults, the way you choose and the way you make decisions, people are watching. Why did you choose to take that other job and not this job? Why did you choose to stay here or to go? They're watching you because how you make decisions reflect on who Christ is to you. In the same way, for some of us who are older in college, these younger guys are looking to you. How do you study? How do you make decisions? What is important to you? Do you value life group? Do you value church? Is your relationship with Christ and reading the word, is that important? Like, we have opportunities every single day to be an example. And I just pray that we'll be able to. Let me just just quickly hear, he, after he talks about the older men, older women, he talks about the younger men and younger women, and then he mentions something that seems a little bit out of kind of context he mentions about bond servants but it's also important because bond servants lived inside the home of the families if you will they were kind of like the helpers that we see in different cultures in the asian cultures and the reason why he mentions about setting example and mentions the bond servants is because during this time during the biblical times these bond servants they had freedom but it was contained and many of these owners stereotyped these bond servants as lazy. They argued with their masters and stole whatever they could. And that's why here is Paul telling Titus to teach these bond servants the way you live your life, you could be an example to even your masters. That's why Paul gave the exhortation urging Christian slaves not to reinforce the stereotypes. He gives these five qualities that should characterize Christ followers. It doesn't matter what it is that you do, but this should characterize it. NIV says this, verse 9 and 10, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. In verse 10b, you see the reason why Paul gave this exhortation. Listen to it in the New Living Translation. Then they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive in every way. Everyone say attractive. attractive. The way you live your life and as an example will make 
God, our Savior, attractive in every single way. Not that he needs your help to dress him up, but you reflect him. And so the way you live your life, how you live your life, that is important. So you look at something like this and you're like, how is this applied in my life? There's no bond service. Well, you're working. You, you are at the workplace. And there, so many employees will watch you. Your boss will watch you. That's why it's important to have a different perspective about work. Oh, I have to go to work again. Wow, I have an opportunity to go on my mission field. I get to share Christ. I get to be an example, an influence. Not perfect, but that's why you need Christ, because you're imperfect. You have weaknesses, but Christ covers you. We work for God, and we work as a worship to him. That's why Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24 says this, whatever you do, Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How about us? Are we setting an example in order to influence people around us, in our neighborhoods, in our home, our families, at our workplace, at our school? I'm wondering if we're living out the message of the gospel more than just talking about it. We have to influence not only through our experience, but through our example. I think we can do all this, not because we have any giftings of our own or any talent or we're righteous on our own. It's because of our experience with the gospel. We see that Jesus set the example of why that even in a world, he's, we were reminded that even though he was in it, he was not of it. He loved like it was a love of another kind. He served and wash people's feet as if, like, we shouldn't be doing that if you're a rabbi. He had compassion on people like no other. He set an example. That's why he says, just as I have loved you, now you must love one another. That his example is what we look to, especially because when we look at ourselves, we realize we're not loving, we're not compassionate, we're not holy. That's why we need Jesus in, in our lives so that as we experience him and as we see his example, then we turn to him and say, God, help me now to reflect you in all that I do. So here's the one thing as we talked about chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. The one thing is simply this, that we can reach the next generation when the gospel becomes our inspiration. That older men and older women can reach the next generation. And those of you who are younger here, there's going to be a time when you will slowly have younger people coming under you. So I pray that as you think about reaching the next generation, you have to think about the gospel and Christ who is our experience and Christ who is our example for that inspiration. Several things as we think about uh, today and this week. First of all, some next steps is this. Will you prepare yourself with the impact mentality every single day. Everyone say impact mentality. When you brush your teeth, impact mentality. And as you're putting on your clothes, impact mentality. Like I have 
an opportunity today to impact somebody. Some of you think impact is like, bam, like, whoa. But sometimes it's just more of the who might be struggling and just a good conversation. They're like, wow, I'm encouraged. Thank you. Blessing them with coffee when they don't even expect it. Just to let them know that God is a God who provides and he loves you. Finding different ways to impact someone's life. Have that kind of mentality. Prepare for it. Every morning you're about to go to work. As you're on the MTR, as you're on the bus, impact mentality. The second thing is this. Provide mentorship for the next generation. Can I just encourage some of us who are older in our church? I know some of you might feel like, well, I'm not really growing spiritually. I'm not doing really well. But let me say this. You have experience that you can impart. Well, Because you're not doing well, tell them why you're not doing well. Don't make these kind of decisions. I made mistakes. So provide mentorship for the next generation. It doesn't have to be formal. Just like I said, just kind of reach out to When else do we have? Like every single time we eat, who do we eat with in our table? Same campus, same group of people. Hey, like Sunday afternoon, 50 bucks. Think about it. You can literally impact and influence so many different people. Find people that you don't know. Find people that you're like, I haven't seen this person. Maybe this person is new. Impact them. Spend time with them. Those of you who are older, I know that it's easy just to kind of hang up. But maybe sit down with some of these college students and talk with them. Some of these working professionals. Because they, they would love to have some dating advice. So talk to them. Third and lastly, position yourself to be a good example for others to follow. That means positioning yourself means every opportunity you have, make sure that you realize I'm representing Christ. I want to close out and share with you a, a retired teacher story. Uh, his name is Robert Moore. And he was a music teacher for 30 years. And the incredible part is that he has a list of every single student for the last 30 years. And their students, his students, decided to do something that I personally think this is why some of us who are teaching or in the education field gets into because it's about impacting people. And I pray that this will be a reminder of how we can influence people through our experience and our example as we point them to Christ. Let's watch this together and we'll close. Can I just share uh, one thing that I've been reflecting on? Some of you know I just recently celebrated my 50th birthday. And I'm like, man, I'm getting old. And I realized I've lived more than half of my life. I don't know how long I'm going to live, 60, 70, 80, who knows. If I get more sleep, maybe 90. <laughs> but I'm just kind of thinking, I don't know how much longer I'm going to live. But can I give you a perspective that comes from the other side, where it's now coming downhill? When I was in my 20s and 30s, even a little bit into my 40s, a lot of it was about success. Building my career, building my ministry, uh, reaching out to many people. It was all about success. But now that I'm... On the other side, I realized success slowly starts changing to significance. Who are the people that you're impacting in your life? And sometimes some of us will learn this lesson a little bit too late. But it's never too late. If you could change your perspective and repent of the direction you're headed. And to say that 
I'm tired of trying to find success because it's really about significance. Because you and I have one life to live. And what legacy are you leaving behind? Some of you will only be in Hong Kong for four years. Maybe two years. Depending on your program or your work status. My challenge to you is when you look back into your life. What do you want to be known for? In the time that you were here. Some of you might not live to 60, 70. Some of you might only live to 30. If you knew that, I think you will live your life differently. The grades you're chasing after, the job that you're trying to build up or get and the career you're trying to build up, you're going to realize, if I'm going to die at 30, it really doesn't matter as much. You'll spend more time with your family, those people that love you and you love them. I want to challenge some of us right now. You're at that age where it's all about success. Get an early start. Success is not bad. It's a good thing because you can now have a platform to influence people in different ways. But don't lose sight of the end goal. You want to live a life that's full of legacy so that when you pass away, the fruits of what you have done, the prayers you lifted up, the people that you have discipled, the people you have mentored, that's what's going to last to the next generation. Those of you who are parents, your kids are going to be your legacy. Time spent with them. Words of affirmation you've given them. I pray that that will be our response as we think about the next generation. May the gospel become our inspiration for us to respond in that way. I'm going to ask us to bow our heads for a moment. And I want to give you a couple minutes, about two minutes, just to think through this message that you heard. Because I think it's appropriate that we respond in a way that's reflective of what we read today and studied today in the book of Titus. And just thinking about our lives and influence, as we talked about even last week. We can do this by our experience and through our example. I pray that you will be a blessing because God has blessed you so much in all that you do, especially this coming week, as you prepare every day, every morning with the impact mentality and you position yourself to be an example. And then you provide mentorship for the next generation, even if it's one year, two years younger than you. You have more experience than them. You can set example for them as well. So can I invite us, for some of us here, we might need to repent of our self-centered lives. Some of us might have to say, God, use me once again. Help me to focus on you and to love you more and more. For just a couple minutes, and then we'll sing a song, and then we'll just close out here together. Come on, let's do that as we lift our voices together. Can we do that?